Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, and my guest today is fellow Navy SEAL Mike Day. Mike is a Navy Cross recipient and was in a firefight in 2007 where he was shot 27 times. 16 rounds found his legs, arms, and abdomen, and the last 11 got lodged in his body armor. Day remained in the fight, neutralized all four enemy combatants, secured two prisoners, and rescued six women and children before walking himself to the medevac helicopter located close by. While that is an incredible story, and we'll definitely discuss that today, there's a lot more to Mike than this. After serving in the Navy for over 20 years, Day now serves as a wounded warrior advocate for the special operations community. And we're going to learn a lot more about Mike, his time in the SEAL teams, and challenges he faced both personal and professional, and what Mike is doing now. And that's all here today on today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. But before we jump into the conversation with Mike, I'll go ahead and stop right here for a quick plug for our sponsors. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is Navy SEAL Mike Day. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, what are you up to these days, man? Uh, well, I'm um, on a hiatus from work from the nine to five for the first time in my life. There you go. Uh, uh, left my job five months ago, uh, ironically teaching uh, CQC to the SEAL teams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to teach them not to do the same thing I did. They got me all shot up. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, but I sold a book. Um, uh, it's being released in June, June 9th. Um, available uh, at, at my website for pre-order right now, perfectlywounded.com. There you go. And right now I'm just you know, trying to get the word out, promote the book, and uh, enjoy not having a job. <laughs> well, you do have a job. It's the book, and you're gonna, as you uh, as that comes out, I'm sure you'll be on a uh, speaking tour and everything else that comes with having a book. Well, I'm the worst boss too because I set my own schedule. Sometimes <laughs> I'm, I need to find a, a more stout boss than myself. <laughs> yeah, whipped you into shape, man. Well, outside of the the bio that you heard me and I basically covered the the firefight and your survival. To get our listeners to show you, to know you as a person and not just the Navy SEAL um, who was shot 27 times, and you know that that's going to come up later in the conversation. What personal things uh, can you share that can get them to know you a little bit better uh, before we get too deep into your your professional bio and professional history? Well, I, I think that I, I I allow myself to come from a, a place of very extreme vulnerability because I really don't have anything to prove to anybody, and I'm almost to the point where I don't care what anybody thinks. And <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, you know, it was a blessing that I got shot that many times because I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the macho ego of a man that we all have to try to prove something to each other. Uh, it's, it's kind of ingrained in us in our reptilian brains. You know, <laughs> the, you know the whole. Uh, 
who's going to be better than the other person. I, I, I've pretty much excluded myself from that. Uh, so it was nice that uh, that happened to me. I've had a lot of uh, life experiences that uh, I think um, cross over into a whole lot of other people's lives, you know, from my childhood where <clears throat> a lot of um, child abuse, maybe not the worst, but um, my father taught me everything not to be, and the SEAL teams were easy because of him. By just by watching what he did and you just decided to do everything that he didn't do or decide not to do what he did. Yeah, he was a pretty good example of what not, what not to be, but I learned um, a lot of good things from him. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I've just naturally over the years, you know, from a child, you're, you're put into a uh, sink or swim situation, and for some reason I've always pushed more towards, you know, growing as opposed to becoming the victim and and not being able to, you know, get past stuff. I've right. just done it naturally. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to get more into that. I want to dig on that for a minute because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners probably have similar stories or at least your story will resonate with them about your childhood. But what I am doing is I'm trying to start every show by letting our listeners know what we at Veterans Path, the nonprofit that I'm working with, what we do there, and then why we're doing this, this show. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so that they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of and attendance at our retreats, while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. All right, so that all said, we get into more of our questions. So you started touching on, on your childhood. Where did you grow up? I was born in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Uh, my father went to the military, you know, stationed in Lakehurst, uh, New Jersey for a while. And then uh, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Uh, a couple of divorces. The second divorce happened when I was about 12 years old and came and lived in Virginia Beach. Staying with your father the whole time? Uh, no, I came to live with my mother. Okay. Uh, divorced very early on, uh, probably about five years old for me. <coughs> uh, and another one at 12. Uh, my father was medically uh, retired uh, from the Navy with schizophrenia. So he was, he was an alcoholic and a very violent person. So it was a very violent upbringing uh, uh, from from both sides. He was more violent than the stepmother, but the stepmother was also very violent. Uh, but I was here in Virginia Beach uh, from eighth grade, went to Brandon Junior High. Okay. Literally got kicked out of Green Run High School, went to the job goer in yeah. Baltimore. I used to pass Green Run yeah. every day. Wow, man. They used to call it Gang Run. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how the school is now. But yeah. Supposedly, it's kind of hard to get kicked out of there. But so, I was in the Navy at seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you got kicked out of high school. Did you graduate high school? I went to the Job Corps in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. And I got my GED. Gotcha. And a uh, uh, what do they call that? It was a journeyman's license in carpentry. Okay. <clears throat> you can't hold a job when you're under eighteen years old, though. Yeah. Unless you join the Navy. They, they, they'll take you. <laughs> so what made you cho uh, choose the Navy? I had a, um, 
a, a neighbor that lived nearby that was a Navy diver that told me that I was pretty well suited for the SEAL teams. Yeah. I mean, this is back in, what, 1989. Nobody knew. I didn't know what the SEAL teams were. Sure. And I didn't listen to them. I went and tried to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> and they, they, weren't, take you? they weren't accepting GEDs. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, it was crazy. Yeah. So uh, then, you, then you joined the Navy and you decided to... The Navy to was accepting, yeah. yeah. So I checked out the, the Navy SEAL thing and... How did you check it out in the in in would you say nineteen eighty nine? So the internet wasn't a thing to uh, uh, well, talk to the recruiter. Well, yeah, and you know how. Yeah, he sold you a false bill of goods. No, it actually did. It actually worked out. I mean, I had to force a couple things, but yeah. Um, uh, back then, we didn't. You know, guys, now it's they wouldn't even let me come in the SEAL team right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got kicked out of high school for what? And uh, you got you know, possession charge for what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not coming in. <laughs> um, there's my tangent. What was the question? <laughs> uh, all good. Like, why why did you choose the Navy over the you know the other services? So I, mean, I don't think it's too much of a tangent. Well, I had nowhere else to go. Yeah, it's not a few uh, good officer men. Officer and gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Had yeah. Else mayonnaise. Else. <laughs> 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 I literally had nowhere else to go. <laughs> There, quite honestly, wasn't a whole lot of places on the face of this planet that, that would have been good for me, well, other than the SEAL teams. Sounds like it was uh, meant to be. So, yeah. So um, in boot camp, we had to take the test. Yeah. And then, if you passed the test, you got to go. So you went straight from boot camp out to buds, and uh, I did. And, and yeah. So you've been in the SEAL teams your whole Navy career, essentially. Yeah, except for uh, boot camp and A school. I had to go to A school. Yeah. Okay. What were you before? I mean, this is before. <coughs> I was a SEAL machinist was mate. Okay. A bosun mate, a master in arms. Oh wow! I kept changing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then the SO. eventually changed yeah, to the SO. SO eventually. Yeah, sure. They did that for me. On, <laughs> Just to I didn't even have to sign anything for that one. <laughs> but, well, uh, I touched on the firefight, and like I said, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, but besides that, um, I want people to know more than that about you and. What were some challenges? I mean, you touched on and you kind of bounced around from one rating to the other in the Navy. But what were some challenges that you encountered in your career, either personal or professional? In my career, uh, the, the SEAL teams were my was my job. Uh, I kind of had a conversation with my kid today. I, it really wasn't my identity. My kids were so unimpressed with me. I was on the Navy parachute team. I used to when she was a little kid. I, yeah, <clears throat> take her to football games in San Diego. I was jumping into. I'd be like, man, kids gonna think I'm awesome. <laughs> and uh, she didn't care less. I fell out of an airplane at twelve thousand feet and landed in front of forty thousand people. She just wanted to sing. You know, take me out to the ball game and eat a hot dog. Yeah, care less. I fell out of the airplane. So it was pretty. What I what I did was just a job in my house, which is normal. And. Um, yeah, that's kind of the way I saw myself. You know, it's just. Well, that's good. So, I mean, a lot of guys define themselves 100% by. And it's a problem. Job. Yeah. When it's and taken away from them. Exactly. That's where so. guys struggle. So the fact that you don't have that as your 100% identity seems like that was a good thing. Although I just left the job like five months ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> I got out of the Navy in 2010 and I've been working with the Navy until like five months ago. Yeah, right. But, so, 
as uh, you were senior chief when you got out? When, yeah, right? when I retired, I was. Okay. So as a, as a leader or former leader in the military, what are your thoughts on ways to break down the stigma that surrounds mental health and seeking mental health support? Well, I think a big one, and probably the biggest one for me, because I also had this stigma. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's pretty easy to say that you don't, you don't abide by the stigma or believe in it, but there's always something back there. You know, and for me, I told myself, well, you, you, can, you can make it not be that way yeah and because I I kind of saw it as weakness in myself you know and that's that's kind of the stigma you know the hardest person that to, to <laughs> beat that argument with is yourself you sure um, but for me you know I I went through a pretty bad bout of depression and I can tell you and I can show you how it was physiologically driven <clears throat> and I fixed it with diet uh, so that that that's huge right there yeah uh, because the connection between the gut and the brain, the gut and brain health, is, is becoming more, you know, mainstream. I can't even call it mainstream, but the science is there now. Yeah. And becoming better known. Yeah. It is. And, and, and the fact that you can attribute psychological issues to uh, physiological issues is something as simple as nutrition is. I mean, it, it, it's stuff that we already know. You are what you eat. You've yeah. been saying that for years. <laughs> you don't need to listen to the FDA. I think we kind of know intuitively, you know, what we're supposed to eat. And we're making ourselves sick by <clears throat> stuff we're eating. You know, for me, I just didn't have the gut flora uh, to deal with being able to digest food. Yeah. Which directly lent itself to no vitamin B in my body, no vitamin D, uh, a host of other. Is this after you were shot? Yeah. Okay, so this is a this is a, re a result of your being shot that you didn't have that gut. Yeah, my depression was <clears throat> completely attributed to physiological factors. Wow. Bugs, bacteria. Yeah. yeah. I uh, to fix it, you know, I, I took a, a week of antibiotics, which, you know, I think we take too much of those things, <laughs> and then uh, rebuilt uh, my gut flora. And it was adding probiotics to your diet. Yeah, probiotics. You, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not a big Nazi on my food right now. <coughs> uh, you know, I had ice cream last night. Um, I I mostly stay away from uh, processed sugars, processed foods. Yeah. You're bread, gluten. Better than me, man. I, I, I've um, definitely been eating a lot more of that since I've had little ones. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's easier. Yeah. The easiest food to eat on the face of the planet is carbs. Yeah. You know, pastas, pizza. Breads. I mean, I used to eat a pizza at least once a week because it was just easy. Yeah. Uh, but now I can tell you when I eat bread, I feel arthritic. Really? I can feel how food uh, affects my body. <coughs> um, so much more important. And it's not just that. Yeah, a doctor that I work with, um, and the reason why I worked with him because he was the least invasive because everybody was like, well, you, maybe you should go inpatient because I was pretty bad off. Yeah. I was suicidal. Uh, it was a phone call that stopped me from shooting myself in the chest. And um, the reason why I dealt with this doctor, and I really didn't even like him, I still think he's kind of pompous, <laughs> Dr. Anthony Beck. Uh, <laughs> but he's got a good product, you know. But he... Uh, just, you know, that seven years after I got, for seven years, I was a Care Coalition advocate. So 
as a layman, I got to watch medical care. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, high school dropout, you know, maybe, maybe uh, somebody wouldn't take a whole lot of credence from, uh, from my, my observance, but I got to watch, observe medical care. <clears throat> I mean, I was a critic of it all. Uh, uh, saw how placebo works. Mm -hmm. I saw how stuff that I was a very uh, staunch critic of uh, actually believe and, and see how it actually works, like EMDR. Mm -hmm. I thought yeah. that was like witchcraft the first time I saw that back in like 2010, I think. Yeah. Can you can you tell for our listeners who may not know what EMDR is? Can you kind of <coughs> explain what's um, going on there? Well, I can't tell you what. The actual letters, the acronyms yeah, for eye movement, something. I'm, I'm forgetting off it the is, top of my head. It is. It does deal with eye movement. Uh, so when we're in REM, uh, our body slows down to a certain, you know, a certain point. Heart rate, brain activity, uh, different types of brain waves, uh, different resonance, and that's where where you heal when you're in REM. Mm -hmm. uh, EMDR uh, is supposed to stimulate uh, stimulate the eyes to. Uh, resemble what your eyes do in, in REM. Okay. And then not not change the thought process from a bad thought down that path to the disturbing thought process that makes somebody feel bad, which is, you know, anxiety, PTSD. Right. You have a trigger. So what they do is they take that trigger and they just allow you to have that thought process go to something that's not as disturbing. Doesn't overlay it. Doesn't. It's not brainwashing. It's not. It works. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's magic. I mean, it's. <laughs> oh yeah, it's no. magic. It's 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 uh it's scientifically proven. Yeah. It's uh, in journals. It's being paid for and covered by insurance. Uh, oh, I've, I I haven't done it myself, but I have heard from everybody who's tried it that. The, the results have been phenomenal. Well, there's some shiny objects out, right, out there right now that everybody thinks that, uh, they're they're getting good results from, and I, you know, like uh, what is that stuff called? Magnetic uh, MRT, yeah. magnetic yeah. magnetic resolution therapy. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of people have done that, and you know, I know one bad case too. But yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if it, if it works, why don't you just Get it published. Why don't you? Wouldn't you like if it was my product? Yeah, yeah, I would get it certified so that I can have insurance sure, companies pay for it. Yeah, of course. Because uh, right now we're raising a lot of money to send guys to do that. And what about you personally? So going back to going back to the firefight and, and obviously the what happened afterwards is more what I want to talk about. Can can you describe what? Well, I guess we can't really get too much into it without going into what happened in the firefight. So, oh, well, you can give the, the yeah, elevator if, story. Yeah, perfect. That'd be great. <laughs> if you could give me what yeah. happened in the in the firefight and then afterwards the recovery, what that looked like for you. Okay, um, I can say, uh, like I said earlier, my father made this the SEAL teams really easy. I I don't know how I got as lucky as I did to be shot so many times and have what I consider very minimal injuries. And maybe I wouldn't have if I didn't have that job at the Care Coalition afterwards because I know a lot more people that were a lot more messed up than me that got shot a hell of a lot less yeah, or blown up or... Um, uh, but in, in that room, um, pretty surreal, pretty surreal event. Uh, it was a turnover operation. 
I don't know if you have here Jay Redman on. Yeah, so, I haven't had him on the no. podcast, but we uh, had him for our fundraiser last week. But we were doing a um, a turnover operation with his with his troop. And that's what they called him at the time. Yep. And he he wasn't there, but I mean he he eventually came over and then got shot in the face. Right. He thinks that's funny when I talk. <laughs> well, Jay, why did you get invited here? I was like, he got shot in the face. <laughs> um, but I, 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 on that operation, uh, we had a, a couple injuries myself. Um, another guy got shot in the arm. Uh, Clark Schwedler, uh, who was a 27-year-old CEO on his second deployment, and he, he got shot in the neck, and he was killed in action. Uh, we had a uh, an Iraqi scout that got shot in the chest. I don't know what his injuries were. His body armor saved him, and then we had uh, one also that got shot in the chest, and it went through his body armor. Yikes. Um, uh, so th- on this operation, I wound up being number one into a room, uh, corner-fed room, opened the door. It hit the it hit the right wall. I went down the left wall, came off my pivot foot, and they just started shooting me. And everything just went to slow motion. Yeah, I bet. Like literally, like in the Matrix, which is, is something that's happened to me. It's uh, uh, an event I think they refer to as time expansion syndrome or something, something like that. It's happened to me since I was a little kid. You know, you know, climbing a tree that a branch broke thirty feet up, and it takes like five minutes to hit the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was on the jump team, all the cutaways that I had, everything slowed down really slow. Um, How many cutaways did you have? Uh, well, I've got eight now. Yeah. But I, I had three from the last job. I was back teaching military freefall. Okay. And found out that prior injuries kept my, my arm from working sometimes. Mm. Yikes. So I had three cutaways there and the torn pack. That was the end of that jumping. I bet. So I, I got in the room. They... Uh, everything went slow motion. They just started shooting me. I lost my rifle. I transitioned to my pistol, uh, my sidearm that I had on my right leg. Uh, shot the guy down the left wall and fell right next to him. Uh, so landed right next to him. He was up against the wall. I was up against him, and there was a window above us. Uh, landed right there. Uh, shot a guy that was trying to run out of the room. He had pulled the pin on a grenade. Uh, hit him in the head. He fell to his knees and blew up, knocked me out. Did he fall on the grenade? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, the guy, it, it's funny when 10 people see the same thing. Yeah. In a very high stressful situation. 10 different stories. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so half the guys didn't even hear a grenade go off. I, I actually, myself, didn't even know a grenade went off until the AAR after action report, yeah. like five months later. Uh, but we had a guy that uh, was there on his first op. <laughs> He was one of the guys from, from Jay's troop. He had raked the window that I was laying underneath, and he saw the guy get shot in the head, and he saw the grenade roll across the room and blow up. Wow. And uh, that threw all the window frag in his face. So that knocked me unconscious. And there was a hand, you know, a bunch of stuff that happened behind me. Uh, as I entered the room, we were doing a different type of clearance than what we teach, teach now. Yeah. You know, we used to flood it. You know, and my number two guy got shot in the chest, knocked out of the room. Number three guy uh, got uh, shot in the chest and died in the doorway. These were the Iraqis? Those were Iraqi scouts, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and in that same volley, a round passed through the doorway, entered the doorway, Clark entered, and hit Hindenburg back in the neck. Uh, he just got hit once, and it hit his uh, hit the artery in his neck. He wound yeah. up bleeding out. Um, so, no seals uh, actually saw me go into that room, and so when I'm unconscious, uh, two of the guys try to get in the room, and there's still two guys in the room. For some reason, don't get knocked out by the grenade like I do, um, but they're still shooting through the doorway, so they can't get in. They decide to pull back. And as they're pulling back, I wake up and re-engage the guys, the two guys across the room. Mm -hmm. And they're shooting off the wall through the window over top of me, yeah. which is inside of 10 feet. And I re-engage them. So I had put a, you know. They, they must have thought you were down and, and out. Well, when I was unconscious, uh, I, I, I have two rounds in my back that don't line up with holes in my body armor. And I got shot twice in the butt which makes it look like they stood over top of me and shot me yeah. twice in the butt with a pistol. Um, and the holes in my back, it looks like they just shoved the pistol in my body armor. I had two rounds go through my scapula and shattered my right scapula. Wow. Which caused my last three cutaways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told him I just need a hip throw out. To get, get rid of that BOC for me and I can open that parachute. Yeah, it happened three times. My whole right side of my back just locked up like a big giant cramp, and my armor didn't work, so yeah. I couldn't get to the BOC. Wow. Um, okay, tangent. No, I'll redirect me. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were, I said, hey, you, they thought you were down and out, so you woke back up, engaged the guys across the room. Yeah, so I, I woke up, and uh, so before the grenade blast, I put probably 10 rounds through that magazine. Uh, they shot me when I was unconscious. I wake up, see the two guys. I re-engage them, run a magazine dry. Uh, do a mag change and re uh, continue to re-engage them and they start shooting at me. They change their fire from through the window and that's yeah. when one of the guys got shot in the arm. Um, and the foot of the magazine gets hit and it blows the hand grips off the pistol. Cause it to malfunction, and I did what I've done so many times, you know, tap, rack, tap, bang, and it worked <laughs> <laughs> and uh, killed those two dudes. Um, uh, you know, ran that thing dry and did a mag change, and I got up and started walking around the building uh, and checking things out. Yeah. But, of course, at this point, I didn't know how many times I've been shot. Yeah. You knew you'd been shot. You mm -hmm. just had no, no idea about how many... Yeah, the power of mind is incredible. If somebody would have told me, Mike, you got shot in both legs, your balls, <laughs> uh, your your butt, your stomach, both your arms, your thumbs hanging off, which I didn't find out until I tried to take my glove off. Yeah, wow. Uh, and uh, and I, I think the reason why I didn't recognize all those is because the ones that hit the body armor hurt way much more. I had a bunch of broken ribs. My right lung was filled up with blood from uh, just from that contusion. That that impact. Blood, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, I mean, basically like taking a sledgehammer to your chest. That's what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like Jeez. 10 dudes with sledgehammers beating on me. <laughs> that's insane, man. And then now that's all over. You make it out to the medevac chopper. What happens after that? 
Uh, well, I had to get the guys. They, they had left. They didn't know I was in there. Like oh, yeah, I said, nobody had right, seen yeah. there. So I, uh, you know, I get up, I clear the rest of the house. I put one of the Iraqi scouts. We had three that got in there that couldn't get out. Put one on the front door. Told them not to let anybody come in. Uh, I got into the room. Clark was in. I couldn't move him. Uh, that's where the women and children were. I got them to quiet down. Got deeper in the house. Found two more of my scouts. <clears throat> that were holding on detainees, you know, I checked their flex cuffs, left one there, brought the other one out on the women and children, and then I tried to make comms, and uh, that's when I found my radio was pretty much destroyed. You know, I transferred Clark's radio out with mine, and that's how I found out my, my thumb was hanging off my hand. Uh, I couldn't turn the neural net on the, uh, on the embitter. Yeah. So I was like, oh, you're really bloody, so I took my right glove off because I was taking my left hand glove off I realized my thumb was hanging off so I left the glove on yeah uh, but I eventually got got it off and called the guys back in deconflicted that front door um, I got the medevac in there I walked out to that and it wasn't because I was trying to be macho when the guys got back in the house they didn't realize I'd been up walking around yeah um, <clears throat> so uh, get there you know medevac to to Baghdad there overnight uh, to lawn stool the next day. Right. <coughs> and then uh, I spent uh, like a day or two there to Bethesda, 16 days there, and, and then in a recliner at my house for about three months. Um, it was all soft tissue. It, it's amazing that bones weren't hit. You know, uh, from the ground up, I had one go clean through my left thigh. Didn't hit the, didn't hit anything. Yeah. That soft tissue. I had that's, one go. That's a killer right there, man. I mean, if it hits the, oh, the thigh bone. I had one run up from my right knee all the way up my inside of my thigh mm-hmm. on my right side. That didn't get the femoral artery. The cavitation should have yeah. at least got the femoral artery. Yeah. Um, one through my scrotum. Didn't hit anything but a vast deference. Don't really need that thing. <laughs> um, I think reconnected that twice in the butt, once in the stomach. So that one, I had a colostomy bag for about a year. Yeah. Uh, left thumb was almost amputated, middle joint, just fused now. I, so I, can, you, can you bend that? There's, no, there's I just can't bend that at the middle joint. Gotcha. Um, probably the biggest residual is the two rounds that went through my scapula. Yeah. And keeping me from not opening a parachute. That's sure. pretty dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> well, only if you're jumping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, so how did you deal with that um, and the after effects mentally? I uh, I wasn't really bothered by it. I was irritated by it. I think uh, it traumatized the people closest to me yeah. more than it did me. You know, I can't say that I'm a complete sociopath or something like that. You know, I did have... Karina tell me, I, you know, went in at one point and told her, I can't sleep. I'm really anxious. And she kind of giggled at me. She was like, we thought you enjoyed what happened to you. <laughs> and I think that's the impression people had of me. I was kind of hard-nosed and yeah. it's kind of the reputation I had. And, uh, but I, I can honestly say that, you know, I didn't have PTSD from that. I didn't, I really wasn't bothered by it. I didn't, I don't feel like, like I compartmentalized it. You know, I, you know, I, we had people die, people got hurt, it changed yeah. people, it changed people's lives, but, you know, it was, 
wasn't something that I didn't know that could possibly happen. And quite honestly, it was amazing it took that long for it to happen. Yeah. So how the long, way. I guess, how long were you in? And if I, if I understand correctly, this is one of your last ops. I mean, it was my was last. Last op. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it was, and it was planned to be your last op, right? That was going to be your last no, op. No, we were about a week and a half out. I mean, okay. we had a, we were, we were extremely efficient. We had like <clears throat> 10 to 15 pre-approved con ops just awaiting trigger. Okay, yep. So you never knew what was going to happen. So this was, I believe it was the first turnover off we did. Yeah. Um, with those guys, there would have probably been a handful more before we got out of there. So the guys actually went out and did more. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope so. Yeah. Oh, God. they did. Yep. Yeah. Anyhow, um, you know, talk about getting back in the saddle. I wish I could go do another one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Um, like not, not one that you find them when they're sleeping. Like, there's a, a small part of me, you know, be careful what you ask for, to, you know, get into another yeah, I mean, like I gunfight like what, uh, that, just the, so I can... The team guys, you know. that's kind of how you're raised, is that what, that's what you're working for. Like, like my sister's an ER nurse, uh, or, has, or has been, and, you know, they, they train to be on response, right, when people yeah. come in. And, yeah, sure, they don't want to see people hurt, but they want to have... They want to practice they, they, their they skill. They want to practice yeah. their skill. I mean, they don't want to train all their lives to do nothing. And it's just like us. We don't want to train all our lives to do nothing. Um, so that there's definitely a piece of me that's that same way. Like, I want to, I wish I could go back and get back into the, the saddle and get back on the ops. But oh, I just realized how hypocritical I was. I was like, I don't have anything to prove to anybody else. So it's like <laughs> I'm still trying to prove shit to myself. To yourself, though. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I could do it. Actually, I'm not going to even say pretty sure. I know I can do it again. Yeah. I, I might actually be better at it now. <laughs> in a different place. Uh, Sounds like mentally all, all around. So um, so it sounds like you didn't struggle at all with that incident itself, um, kind of compartmentalizing that incident. But what about uh, afterwards as far as, you know, maybe you, know, you mentioned loss of like some physical movement. Did you struggle with that at all mentally? Um, no, just, I mean, it more just irritated by it. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not in that competition. Everything's a race anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. When I when I work out now, it's it's just to maintain so that I can do the stuff I like to do. Sure. Uh, Which is, I don't know, ride my bike, go surfing. There you go. Uh, I'll probably jump a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you know, s- stay healthy enough through diet and you know, and the SEAL teams. Everything was a race. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> And yeah. it's hard Even not to be Even when they say it's race. not a race. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a given. It's always a race. It's yeah. always. Right. There's never a time it's not. There's never a time it's not a competition. Yeah. It's, but now, you know, if, I, if, if I'm hyperventilating, that means slow down. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, your, in your recovery process, were you ever introduced to meditation? I was. I, I, I like to go... Uh, apply myself as, as the guinea pig to a whole bunch of different uh, types of treatment. Yeah. I've seen some really silly ones, uh, you know, ones that I, I feel that work. Uh, I think I have pretty much what healthcare is supposed to be, you know, the way I was treated and how I was analyzed. And uh, you know, healthcare nowadays is so reactive. Yeah. 
for seven years, I watched guys and gals get <coughs> medications for uh, a symptom with a uh, complete disregard from the medical team on what's actually causing the Cause, symptom. Sure. So we're just treating symptoms, and uh, that medication's gonna have symptoms. So, you know, for instance, guys that have like terrible migraines, which more than likely are uh, well, phys physiologically and psychologically, I think a lot of pain is, I know in myself, a lot, a lot of physical pain I've actually manufactured. Yeah. Uh, and the way I know that is because I've been in more physical pain from sitting on my ass than when I'm out working out. And it's like the more I sit around and the, uh, the more I feel sorry for myself, that, that just generates pain. Yeah, it kind of manifests. It, as it does. Pain. It just comes yeah. with it. You know, bad thoughts create bad pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, get me back on track here. Yeah, we'll just talk about meditation and your. Uh, have you actually been exposed to that in your in your recovery? But I haven't. I actually, uh, you know, I talk about it in my book. I I, <coughs> I like meditation. I like yoga. Yoga is very difficult for me. I can't get into all the poses, but it. It's, I like it because it is hard, and it, that's that's what resiliency is. It's trying to get comfortable in uncomfortable positions, and yeah. um, everybody wants to build resiliency, but you have to actually practice it just like anything else. So I, I think uh, building physical resiliency definitely builds psychological resiliency also. So And vice versa. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to go jumping ice ponds to or beat yourself up physically do, uh, to the point where you, you definitely have to push yourself. Yeah. If, if you're, if the most you ever do is sitting on a couch and eat a bunch of Twinkies, <laughs> watch TV, then anything outside of that uh, habit, you're not going to be very resilient in. So. True, true. Um, was there a spiritual aspect to your recovery, I think you, you, the the title of your book is what is it? Perfectly wounded. Perf perfectly wounded. Is there a, is there a spiritual aspect at all? Yeah, I've got a, a healthy spiritual life. I, you know, I was I was raised as a Christian, been been baptized twice as a Christian, and um, I don't know, it might be offensive to people, but I now consider myself a recovering Christian. <laughs> Uh, I'm a spiritual person. I just don't. I've I've gotten to the point and seen some things that uh, don't allow me to believe that everything I was taught is true. And uh, you know, I like the research stuff. You know, historically, yeah. you know, and uh, religion is to me, it's a reason to stop looking. It's it's the answer. It's the reason that people accept. Yeah. And. Uh, a lot of people don't even know the history of the Bible, right? Right. <laughs> and what's omitted from it, and you know, not just Christianity, Catholicism, and uh, it's, it's pretty brutal history. Right. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, and I think that rings true for every religion, right? But there is a God. Yeah. Oh, I but when that. I say there's a God, you know, I don't. That's that's not the you know the Catholic God or the Christian God or the, I don't know who it is. I haven't talked to him yet, or yeah. her, or it. Or <laughs> yeah, we'll all find out one day, in one way or another. People really think I'm crazy when I say, yeah, I finally got to talk to God, right? <laughs> well, uh, 
kind of changing to a little less serious of a, of a subject, I was speaking with Brenda, and, and I mentioned this right before we started recording. So Brenda Neckbottle is a mutual friend that we have, and she mentioned she had interviewed you on, a, on another podcast for her, and she mentioned that you have tattoos where you've been hit by the, by the gunshots. Uh, can you speak to that and why you did that? Uh, yeah, well, the first the first six were an accident. Mike Martin, who was a pretty prominent guy in the SEAL teams. Yeah, no, Mike. Uh, he passed away last year. He's a Vietnam era vet. He was on the on the bike ride, you know, cross country to the Vietnam Wall. Yep. You know, stopped at his brother's house and <clears throat> passed away with a heart attack, sleeping in his recliner. But after I got hurt, I went out to see Mike at his tattoo shop. Uh, what was that? Skin Graphics there in Imperial Beach, and uh, Mike was covered from head to toe. But I, I really respected Mike. He was one of the one of the guys that. We looked up to when I, you know, when I was coming up. He was one of one of my big mentors. Yeah. <clears throat> Vietnam era seal, sea float. Uh, looked like a little circus midget, but he was a pretty dangerous guy. <laughs> but and uh, went to see him. He was like, "Why don't you have any tattoos?" And I was like, "I don't want to pay for that." <laughs> he was like, "Well, what do you want? I'll do it for free." And he had some bullet holes on his legs uh, from Vietnam yeah. tattooed in. So I had him. Pretty much just replicate those on six of the bullet holes in that session, and I uh, just recently got uh, six more replicated. Nice. So, so there was good to have stuff from Mike. Uh, I wish I would have had him sign it. <laughs> there wasn't any type of uh, recovery side to that. That was just all all fun. No, I mean, uh, I think we might do things subconsciously. Yeah, that's you know a lot of times. You know, it's hard to say why we as humans do the things we do. Subconsciously, maybe I, uh, uh, need a reminder. I just tell you, know, well, not really a reminder. I mean, there's the, point, you know, the scars there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, I think it shows it doesn't bother me that I got yeah. shot. I'm pretty damn lucky. I mean, I got shot four times in my left arm. I got yeah. four tattoos up there. None of them hit. None of them hit none bone. bone. Yeah, that's three, three in my right arm. Uh, uh, so they, they're, yeah, they're reminders. I mean, I don't, I'm not bothered by that event. I don't mind talking. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's quite yeah. obvious just in our discussion here, it doesn't seem like it, uh, it bothers you uh, mentally. So that, that's a good thing. So, I mean, you obviously have some type of resilience there. It, it may have a lot to do with your upbringing that you were mentioning at the beginning. Oh, it has everything to do with my upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, just, you know, in my mid forties, starting to figure out, you know, my my mommy and daddy problems. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even tell you probably a year ago what my wants, my own personal wants and needs were. Yeah, uh, that changes a whole lot of things when you can figure that out. Well, what are you doing to help to figure that out? Uh, well, I'm I'm getting rid of things that and people that don't meet my wants and needs. Yeah, or giving them the chance to. Uh, and if they can't, um, then you know I'm gonna go do what I want to do. Uh, be, because the way I grew up, uh, because I had to please somebody constantly to keep from getting my ass handed to me. Yeah, I grew up as a people pleaser. I'm, I'm, I'm an awesome servant. I, I always help people around me. Uh, but a people pleaser always forgets themselves. Themselves. So, sure. Uh, I just you know you when you get to the point where you figure when you're that kind of person, you don't even know what your wants and needs are. Um, but when you can define that 
uh, it gives you a little bit more direction. That's kind of where I am now. You know, I just bought a brand new truck. I'm going to buy a fifth wheel and go live all over the place. There you go. So, yeah, my wife and I have a similar plan. Uh, when I retire in August, jump in our 31-foot motorhome. She just gutted the entire interior, redid it all, mm -hmm. um, and spend six or 12 months driving around the, this beautiful country that, that we live yeah, in. So. I've, I've been all over the place in it and I haven't really got to see didn't have the time to. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, good for you, man. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. So, um, I want to talk about your book a little bit. Make sure we get a good plug for that. So, Robert Barra, he's written a couple books. You work with him to to write this. Perfectly Wounded. When's that come out? And what can you tell us about the book? Well, the book's going to be released in hard copy, uh, and I believe Kindle. First time I'm doing this, I don't know. At least hard copy. I'm not sure how they run that. That's June 9th. Um, the book is currently ready for pre-order right now uh, at perfectlywounded.com. There's a link on there that'll bring you to whatever. Um, well, I think we just have Amazon on there right now, but <clears throat> that link's on perfectlywounded.com and my social media. Uh, it's great. My daughter went to school, my GI Bill. She's my graphic designer. Oh, yeah? Uh, my, you know, she went to school my GI Bill's. And now she's doing all my, all my branding, my yeah. website. She hey, did, <laughs> yeah. She did the perfectly wounded. Back. Well, I'm paying her too. Yeah. So. <laughs> nice, funny circle. Nice. I'm, I'm happy to have her and her, her boyfriend doing it for me. So they do your website mm -hmm. and they do all your social media. Well, yeah, I got to get I got to get together with them because it's a mess right now. Yeah. But as far as social media, Instagram, um, uh, Mike Day fifty three twenty six. Oh yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, so fifty three twenty six for our listeners. Yeah. That's the that's the NEC for for the seals, or naval enlistment Navy enlistment code. Um, so great. I'll put the link to perfectlywounded.com in the show notes. Um, I can tell here that my daughter started scribbling on my uh, iPad earlier this morning because there's some <laughs> gibberish that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but what have we not discussed uh, that you want to make sure our, our listeners hear uh, or know about you? Um, well, I, I think probably the the place where I, I learned the most in my life was at seven years at the Care Coalition uh, in healthcare, how uh, how things are done. Um, I'm working on a nonprofit right now that's going to deal with. Um, it's definitely going to include because anybody that deals with trauma is probably going to have physiological problems that are that are that are causing psychological issues and. It, the best thing to do is get somebody to like a, a good working base before you start throwing medications and other treatments at them. Yeah. Uh, because if mental illness is a chemical imbalance, uh, why not try to fix the imbalance? Right. You know, naturally before you start throwing more artificial chemicals on it. Yeah. Well, I think but, you mentioned you know physical health going down and that that can lead to physiological and mental problems I mean the, the inverse too is like if you have uh, you know depression or anxiety that can manifest itself in, in physical pain as well so it's kind of it uh, both ways going there but what's the nonprofit uh, exactly have you started that up or oh, all I have right now is the, the URL um, uh, for it. it's called warrior tribe okay and I, I just want to find myself in the not in that field, but in, in, in that place where I can uh, promote um, 
health through nutrition. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to be in the realm of you know where uh, mental um, mental illness. Um, it was just the experience I've had that I think that I I can help in in those areas. And another place where I I feel pretty drawn to is uh, uh, at risk youth. Because nice. uh, I was a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> now at 17 years old. Um, uh, you know what the ACE yeah. is? Yeah, so, adverse childhood uh, yeah, experiences. I've, I've pretty yeah. much clicked all those off. And the only difference between me and like 80% of the people in the prison system across the country is I joined the Navy. Yeah. Well, so. Saved it in a way, I guess. But, you could, but you've been given back since you joined. So you have that deep sense of service. And it sounds like you're going to continue to serve just in a different capacity but i would have been a good criminal too I would have made, <laughs> if i would have made the bad choice you know? yeah yeah so funny enough uh uh had one of our guys he, he's a, a veterans path alumni actually he's gone through some of our retreats he's former army but um he was he was a criminal um and oh we know some prominent yeah i'd like to read oh, his book yeah, yeah that guy was a nut man yeah fearless yeah yeah man he's uh i haven't read it but yeah, it's yeah. A, oh man it's an excellent book it's how do you get the green team blind yeah right and with a jacked up oh. hand yeah so Actually, i didn't know about his hand yeah yeah i just um, can't get past that he was blind yeah and his dominant shooting eye yeah and so then had to a, learn he's you know. got a heck of a story i think there he was a crackhead before he got in the navy he stayed one um, through the Navy, even. Really? Yeah, in the book, I didn't he know talks that. about he battled with that uh, through through his whole time in the Navy. Um, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, man. Um, well, this has been awesome. Uh, so we mentioned your Instagram and social media, your website. Um, how else can people get in touch with you if uh, if they wanted to reach out and find out more about you, or if they wanted to set you up for a speaking engagement, or, or whatever the case may be? At, at perfectlywounded.com. Right there. Yeah. Simple enough. Well, cool. Mike, this has been awesome. Um, thanks for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate it. You sharing your story and kind of sharing how uh, you've made your major recovery, both physically and mentally. And it sounds like you, you weren't too rattled by it. And uh, it sounds like you got a great plan for your your future ahead. And both with your website and what you're doing with your book, and then with uh, with your future nonprofit warrior tribe here. So, on learning patience and. Uh kind of my go-to phrase for myself is everything always works out for me just not the way I expect it to yeah but, not and, and not on your timeline right <laughs> yeah that's, that's why I had to learn patience yeah for sure this whole book thing's taking a long time <laughs> well hey you've got it out there it's coming out in June look forward to having a having a copy man myself and then read more learn more about you so thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show for our listeners, thanks for listening to the show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We, too, are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family and maybe give us a review. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.